Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds, a podcast about food and relationships. I'm a restaurant critic in Atlanta, Georgia, that's been writing about food for over 15 years. And this podcast is the place I feature people I think are doing really cool things. But We talk about their stories more than we talk about their food. We are a little different than most food podcasts. This week, my guest is Mercedes O'Brien. She is a brilliant mixologist and person who makes some of the best tasting cocktails I've ever had. Here's her story. Hi, Mercedes. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? Yeah. Um, so my name is Mercedes O'Brien. Um, I am, I would say like a longtime bartender in Atlanta, Georgia. That's probably, um, how I may have met some of y'all listening out there. Um, yeah. And just like an overall food enthusiast, um, and recently getting into, you know, more advocacy work and podcasting. I didn't know you were podcasting. Yeah. Um, oh, please tell <laughs> So it's, um, it's coming out in uh, summer of 22, which, you know, is like when you're getting your podcast rolling, it's, you get a little bit of the jitter. So I'm, I'm working through that right now, but, um, it's called, why don't I know this? And it's basically kind of, I say it's like the podcast for the procrastinating ponderer, like myself. Um, I have a lot of unanswered questions that, or rather things I feel like I should have known by this point in time in my life. Um, and so I'm going to kind of like tackle that and also guests have the same thing and, um, take their questions, learn from, you know, anywhere from like novices to experts on it and kind of like regroup and tackle it together. That's a really cool idea. Thank I you. like that. It's like a total <laughs> departure from what you're doing normally uh, yeah. too, <laughs> but, well, but I, what are you doing now? Um, yeah. if people um, have been following along with your career, maybe you can just kind of take people on um, the journey, how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah. So right now, my main focus is um, a little business called Sippin' at Home. It's something that I started during the pandemic, which is right when I was, you know, um, furloughed and sitting at home like the rest of us. I, I, you know, wanted to do something to stay active and stay like a part of my community that I would normally be interacting with every day, um, behind the bar. And so I created, um, you know, cocktail kits to be sent out, uh, nationally and mostly like focused around Atlanta and then held little, um, you know, virtual cocktail classes when, when zoom happy hours were like all we could ever do. (laughs) And that's kind of changed now to focusing more on like, uh, it private, like in-person classes. So like you and a group of friends and I can get together, we can make your favorite drinks and really kind of like dissect it. And, uh, yeah, it's now it's just kind of more focused on the educational aspect of, of imbibing, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you, I remember watching just during the pandemic, you were really one of the first mixologists to pivot and be selling things, you know, ready-made for people. Um, And I love that you were able to parlay it into like a next level of your career. But before you were a mixologist or what would you call yourself? I mean, I I feel like mixologist (laughs) might be 10 years ago. I might be dating myself. (laughs) No, it's it's fine. I've, I've always said like, like bartender is what I prefer. Um, like if it's good enough for, you know, Jerry Thomas and the people who were slinging drinks well before I was even like 
in utero, it's fine for me. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I just feel like there was like an arm garter phase, you know? Oh yeah. The like During mustache. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I, I don't know if like, that's like, like saying foodie now. Um, oh yeah. But, but you actually started as garmanger, is that right? Or you were yeah. actually on the food side before, no? Yeah, so I, I did both. I did front of house and back of house. Um, I always envisioned my life being back of house. Um, when I was in, you know, in high school, I, my parents were always like really concerned that I never had any interests. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like my brothers are, you know, varsity wrestlers and basketball players and all these things. And I was just kind of like, you know, reading my books in the corner all the time. Um, Same. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can tell by your, your beautiful collection. Um, yeah. And so eventually I found, I, this is so silly to say, but like I found food network and I would in my like formative teenage years, like stay up till like four in the morning watching like Iron Chef and, um, you know, Anthony like Bourdain on the travel channel and really kind of like felt that flutter. I think that a lot of people feel when they find something that they're like, oh, I, I'm like, I'm into this. Um, and so I started taking culinary classes when I was in high school. Um, and was this here? Did you grow up here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I okay. grew up uh, in a place called Noonan, Georgia. I know Noonan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, good place. Um, but really I took some culinary classes and my teacher at the time was like, you need to pursue this. Um, but at the time, you know, hope scholarship didn't offer like credit towards like culinary or art, um, institutes. So mm. I went the, the university route, um, you know, pursued journalism and photography, always thought I would you know, pursue food journalism was a massive stan of you. Like me. <laughs> oh my yes. God. <laughs> I used to wow. like, uh, yeah, the blissful button was like, like huge for me. Like I would like literally read it anytime you posted anything was like Aww, on the blog. I have such it imposter was... syndrome that I'm always still shocked that people read me. <laughs> no, it was, it was like, you were kind of my, my benchmark. I was like, I want these days. Oh, thank you. Um, and then I, you know, during that time was doing what a lot of people do to support themselves during college was, you know, I was working in, in restaurants and so was doing back a house and, um, also in like Garmanger at H Harper station. And which is where you hooked up with Jerry Slater, who's yeah. like a cocktail godfather and <laughs> exactly. people don't yeah. know total like, an HR Harper station was really, I feel like instrumental in revitalizing that area of Memorial Drive. I mean, yeah. uh, or, or, I mean, aside from homegrown. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what it's, was that like, like making the switch? It was, I mean, honestly, it was really weird. It was, <laughs> it was great too. I think like what kind of kept my focus or intrigue in it was seeing the connection between you know, like plating and also like serving up a, like a well-executed cocktail. Like there were these, um, connections and food, like, and kind of once I, once I learned certain things, like we, you know, we have fat and acid and solidity and food, the same thing applies to drinks. You, you have fat with sugar, you have acid with your citrus, you have, mm. you know, all these like, you know, base and neutralizers. And once I started to make that connection, it really started to like, you know, click for me. So it was like beautiful mind, all these components. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
think that's very kind of you to say. I think I was more just a fumbling little, you know, bartender for the first. I mean, I, I mean, like it, barely turned how, 21. How 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 soon after were you working at gun show? Oh, I think that was probably I worked at um that was in 2015 when I went to gun show. So I mean, I want to say like three or four years later. So I really um followed Jerry closely and tried to learn as much as I could from him while I, while I had him, <laughs> um, and then went to gun show. And that was like a whole nother flip. Like it was behind, being behind this, like really long, amazing, you know, wooden bar, historic bar, and then going to trying to make drinks on a cart in the middle of a dining room. Like it was, but that was honestly the first time I think I tasted one of your drinks and it was like, it for me, I, I've never been an old fashioned person mm-hmm. and it was your toasted old fashioned. Is that yeah, the, yeah. the toasted old fashioned. <laughs> and it was just, I don't know. I just, I think it makes so much sense to me now that you started off on the food side because you have a, like you were saying, you have a real understanding of how ingredients go together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I've seen it since then, you know, like, I had a party this past summer and Mercedes yeah. came and bartended and made this amazing ranch water with like <laughs> sumac salt and citric acid rib that literally every time I see guests still to this day since August, they bring up that drink. Oh, that's um, so good to hear. Cause it just tastes, <laughs> your drinks taste good. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's if taste, anything- they're enjoyable <laughs> to drink. I'm not like, you know, trying to like choke it down to get a buzz. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they've done that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's like the, I think the best compliment I could ever receive because if it doesn't taste good, yeah, you could be using like a million ingredients, but at the end of the day, if it's not like, oh, I want to have another, then um, I'm not really doing my job very well. So I appreciate that. So why, why do you think you, you switched to, to cocktails and, and alcohol was, you know, what for you was more alluring than the food part of hospital hospitality rather? You know, I don't know if either one of them is like more alluring. I just think I found a bit of like a path in cocktails that I didn't really have like in the kitchen. Um, you know, like, I think I was just a little tiny, like tiny. I mean, I was like 20 years old or, Mm -hmm. you know, 19 years old. Um, trying to find my way in a kitchen. And especially like as a woman, I just, I wasn't really like, I I hadn't quite learned my voice. I hadn't, you know, learned to really stick up for myself. Um, And then given the, once I like became behind the bar, there was sort of this like performance of it Hmm. that I think pushed me out of my shell a little bit more to be the person that's like kind of holding down you know, like the energy of, of the bar and of the night. And, um, that for me just kind of like allowed me to embrace learning that a little bit more. And, um, it kind of just went from there. And I feel like, I mean, I still cook like pretty much everything I eat, but, um, with the exception of going out on the occasion, but yeah, the bar was like, I think just where I finally found like a a breakout point for my personality. And also as a woman, which you mentioned, it's, it's, a, it's not a, not a place that's normally held down by women, you know, yeah. like, I mean, in, in terms of at the level that you do it at, um, I feel like it's very much dominated by men, but you were also in addition to Kelly Thorne, one of, 
you know, the few women that I saw rising to the top, you know, there's okay. Of course, if we're looking back at, you know, yeah. Holman and Reagan and everyone like that, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not, not to just cannot forget her. <laughs> yeah. I cannot forget her who started it all. But I mean, does it feel like a place of power for you? Like, cause I have to feel like the bar is a powerful place in a restaurant. Yeah, I would say it definitely is. Um, to me, you know, it, it didn't come without its growing pains. And I'm sure any woman who are, you know, or like queer or, you know, like person of like a my like color or minority would, would tell you like, it's still very much so a, a cis, you know, white male club. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Everywhere and, though, not just Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you know, when I was starting out, there was times, um, where, and I, I actually don't think he'll mind me saying this, but, um, Julian Goglia was, uh, the bar back at each Harper and I was training him, but like for the longest time there were, you know, guests who would come in and, and, you know, would, would choose to flag him down and talk to him because he had the look and then he would, and then he would turn like, go, don't ask me, like, you need to ask her. And, um, it was kind of like, it became a point where like, you just got to laugh it off. Um, and then keep putting yourself in front of those people and having those conversations with those people, um, and letting them know, like, who's boss, you know, like there's still, I'll still get like challenged sometimes by certain people who, who just think that like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about sort of thing. And I'm like, you know what? Cool, whatever. And I'll go down to the next person and mm -hmm. have a conversation with them. Like, I think that that's um, been something that is not like unique to me, but um, is I I'm hoping is like kind of changing uh, as the years go on. Little do they know that these customers... <laughs> Really, that like literally every chef in Atlanta comes to you for like cocktail <laughs> advice because you're so talented. But um, but just something you did say earlier um that has really drawn you to just this industry is the education piece, and it's kind of like as you said, something that you're going to be using um as a foundation for your podcast. Why is education so important to you? Yeah, I think to me, education is so important because it's the link that kind of like creates community in a lot of us. Um, I, I'm just also a very like curious person where I think my mom will tell you, like, I was quite the annoying child, <laughs> like that, like, you know, the, the formative years of like, why, why, why at, at three was long surpassed that time. Um, but yeah, to me, it's a way to, to create community and conversation that isn't necessarily like, I love to enjoy that's where like food would mostly be for me. Um, but it's also supplemented with, by like, yeah, having these conversations and, and having like bringing a vulnerable side to yourself, I think too, like, I don't know this and I want to learn. Mm -hmm. So like, let's talk. Um, and to me, that's something that's like really beautiful that I enjoy. I agree. And I think it also makes you a better, whatever you're working at, you know, if you're, you know, if you're constantly pursuing more knowledge about that subject that it enables you to just, I think, 
broaden your palette, so to speak. Yeah. And not just like the palette you're tasting, no, but yeah. what you're painting with, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, but even the one that you're tasting, I think maybe too, like people who enjoy food are also like very just naturally curious people. Mm-hmm. They want to learn more. They want to try new things. They're like constantly trying There's to like push like no their- end. Yeah, There's they're no really end it's a to the knowledge. Pit. <laughs> no, I mean, if, and then you just like start adding like every other country. For me, that's the most exciting. I totally yeah. agree. But if let's let's kind of like we've talked about a little bit just about the, you know, the now. But looking backwards, um, when did you kind of realize that food was going to be a thing for you? Ooh, um, I think you know there were signs <laughs> at a very early age that I. I like look back at now and I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. That was, that was interesting. Um, I think when I was younger, like I had mentioned, um, really kind of found, unless it was in in a book, I wasn't really interested. Um, and then when I would finally get like wrestle the remote from my brothers, I would go to the cooking like network or, um, go to like food network and, or cooking channel. And, travel channel, all that stuff. And it was like, to me for the longest time, it was just like a passive ingestion of this content that I just really loved. And I didn't know why. And then, um, my, and my family has always been very food focused. Um, my mother is like a Taiwanese American and, you know, we, we always explored a lot of like different types of food and cuisine, um, growing up. I didn't like, know you had Taiwanese heritage. Yeah. My, my grandmother immigrated, um, like post-World War II and, um, it's a, it's a long story, <laughs> but it was, um, something that like, I would have friends come over and I thought everyone, you know, ate a big spread of di- like a dinner every night. And then it took like my friends coming over and be like, what is this? Like, what are we <laughs> eating here? And, and, you know, like people would call it weird or something. And I'd be like, oh, I, yeah. I don't, you know, my parents um, used, my mom used to bring me cause we're, you know, she's Mexican born and raised. Like she used to bring me cucumbers and jicama with lime and tahine oh, after school. And people would be yeah. like, what is that weird red stuff? And now Everyone eats tiny. I know. <laughs> That's how I feel about like chili oil and stuff now. Right. Like it's like such a big thing now. Mm-hmm. And I remember like having on eggs and like my brother and I, um, my mom didn't have a lot of snack. Like she didn't believe in like having like sugary snacks in the house. Mine and so yeah, for like we would we would like at a very young age watch our Saturday morning cartoons and I would take um pickled ginger from the, from the fridge. And that would be like my Saturday morning snack. And my brother, Corey (laughs) would take like, you know, like hot sauce or like sriracha before it was even like cool. And like be putting it on a, a, you know, spoon and just eating that. Like that was our Saturday morning snack. Like Mm -hmm. that was what we had in the house. Um, but yeah, like eventually what pushed me into the kitchen is my mom, who was, you know, the life source and the cook of, um, the family, had a really bad accident. And, um, my dad was deployed at the time in the military and, you know, she was laid up in bed for three months and I had, I like just took the opportunity and was like, all right, got to do this. I was 15, um, started cooking in the kitchen. And it was like, at that point, learning that and applying you know, like I couldn't even print things off the internet at that time. <laughs> I, I had a little notebook, like a little spiral bound notebook where I would take, you know, I watch a couple programs, take notes, 
put it, give a grocery list to my brother to go get it. And then like, I would cook dinner. And that was kind of like our routine for a while. And that's where I think like my love of food really started to, to grow. You're listening to the food that binds with Jennifer Zeman. I'm talking with Mercedes O'Brien. And what was that like living in Noonan and having like a love of food? I mean, actually Noonan yeah. now has a lot of really good restaurants. I mean, yeah. Atlanta's very different. I was telling this to Mike Jordan. I was like, I don't remember Atlanta being this cool when I was growing up, but Atlanta's yeah. so cool now. And like the <laughs> fact that we have so many ethnic restaurants, ITP, when we had none, like yeah. used to be Mirror of Korea next to the Righteous Room. That was Oh, it. wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like, what was that like growing in up in Noonan being, you know, like not into a lot of things? I mean, like if you are not from the South, like the South is all about like football and cheerleading. And if you're like an artist or someone you're like, and I was, that was yeah. like a wearing Doc Martin's goth <laughs> chick, right? Reading oh and God, painting. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was me <laughs> in the nineties. But, um, but I mean, what was that like in Noonan? Um, I think in Noonan, it was again, like, I, for the longest time, I associated myself like in like sort of like the music scene, mm. um, you know, like I, I feel so embarrassed to say this as like to a former goth chick, but like I was a little emo kid and like this is it like pains me to say that. <laughs> But well, like my that God was, was like Depeche Mode goth, like, like okay, Mala, and I, Nine Inch Nails goth, you know, it wasn't see, that, that hardcore. Way cooler. I had, no, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I had like Taking Back Sunday. Like that was like, <laughs> please don't make fun of me. People don't roast me for this. But like, that's, um, you know, I was, I was really into to that. And I thought like, that was kind of like my, the extent of my creativity. Um, I wasn't, my mother is an interior designer. She can sew and make anything. She's just like, and I thought like, I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint. I'm like, not really good at that. And so I thought, oh, I don't have the, I don't have the creativity in me. Like that wasn't so crazy. Cause I just think of you as like such a creative person, like, <laughs> the way you. the outfits you put together and like your hair and your tats and just Thank the way you, you like, I, I just, and, and just everything, even the aesthetic of your business is like, so I just, I like the way it makes me feel when I look at the oh, graphics. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, yeah. Like, but I think at that time, like, I really thought like, ugh, I would love to have an, an art form and like, you know, food didn't, didn't quite like speak out to me in that form quite yet. And then once I made that connection and that link, it was like the world truly opened up for me. And I think that was being a Noonan was kind of like, I don't, I'm sure there were, there were other people and, and there were other people in like my culinary classes, but like as far as my friends were concerned, um, okay, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Okay. I thought it would be really fun <laughs> as a 17 year old, freshly graduated from high school. Like we're going into to college. I was like, all right, guys, we're going to have a sushi roll challenge. Everyone go, <laughs> like, go and make, go and like, go and like make your sushi with your team. And then we'll have a taste test and there will be judges and all this stuff. And everyone's like, Okay. I found out my team, we went to like Publix. We got like sushi gray tuna. We made like, <laughs> it took us forever. And then our like friends roll up and they like unbox it. And I'm like, this is, you bought this. And they're like, yeah, we just didn't really feel like doing it. And I was like, damn it. Because <laughs> not everyone cares as much as Yeah, they're do. like, yeah. yeah, we just like, we went and hung out by the pool and we picked it up on the way back. And I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> You're like, this is my thing. Got yeah. it. Got it. Cool. So, so today 
you know, what is your business doing? Um, Sipping at Home um, started during the pandemic or was beforehand? Mm -hmm. No, it was during the pandemic. Yeah. It was. um, Can you talk about like when you decided to hang your own shingle? Because, you know, for a while you were working with Kevin Gillespie at Gun Show, at Kimball Houses, you just were, um, you know, you've, you've held court at some of the best bars in Atlanta. What made you go out on your own? I think for me, um, something like I, I do love working behind the bar and I love like the energy of it and the community and talking to people. But like, ultimately I found, I used to do cocktail classes at gun show and again, kind of just like listening to myself and to my body and like my response to things. Like I had like, like a little like natural high from like teaching. And I was, that was something that I was like, there was a much more, there was time and space to have these conversations with people and like really dissect, you know, like the thing that you love with, with a community that I don't, didn't always have the time working at a bar, you know, like you can have a conversation, but you can also ultimately it's like, okay, I got, you know, eight service tickets that I need to get made right. and I need to put right. my head down and, and the service well. Um, and so I think for me, when the pandemic, you know, put a pause on that, that was just a opportune time to kind of like see if there was an interest for it. And it turns out that people want to learn how to make their own. It's, it's no different than like, you know, watching a, a cooking video and, and learning something from that. It's, um, I just wanted to get in on like kind of the, the ground floor of, and there's a lot of people who do this now, but like of creating that sort of like service in, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Something I always say um, in these interviews is that I've always felt like hospitality is a contact sport, right? Yeah. Um, and the pandemic made that impossible. And even the more I think about bartending, you know, and cocktails, I mean, it's even more so, you know, because <laughs> you really are face to face with people. Most of, if you're having a really cool interaction, it's going to yeah. be like, if I go to Kimball house, like I'm not really choosing my drinks. I'm, I'm going on a journey with the yeah. bartender. I'm sitting there for the night. I know that's, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. How did that, how did that change for you during the pandemic? Do you still feel even as we kind of get into this way where we're transitioning to endemic, hopefully, um, did it change the way you felt about bartending? I guess is the question I'm getting at. Um, yeah, it, it did. And there's also like, I think to me, um, for me, it was also kind of like when the, when the pandemic hit, it put a lens to a lot of things. Um, and for me in particular, it was like, the sustainability of working behind a bar. Um, again, it's something I love and I love to do it, but when I take, when I was like taking kind of inventory, um, of the last 14 years that I've been doing it, I mean, I literally started when I was 21 or sorry, 12 years doing it. Um, I was just kind of seeing like, okay, I'm working 60 plus hours a week, 60 to 70 hours a week. Um, I was, you know, recently engaged at the time of the pandemic and was thinking about my life and who I wanted to be spending it with. And it's like, yes, I love the bar, but I want to also have time to be with my family. Like, I mean, any person who has worked in the industry will tell you like 
holidays, birthdays, cool parties that your friends are throwing, like we're not there. We're running like, your errands, like you lose yeah, dry cleaning because yeah, you, you never know. pick it up. Exactly. <laughs> like, and or, or like, you know, going to the like going to the gym, taking care of yourself, um, slowing down, cooking for yourself. Like these are things that are very like rare when you're working those sort of hours. Um, I mean, you're you're there for the guest and not necessarily for yourself sometimes. And to me, that was like another big push of why I wanted to go to Sippin is like I I want to see like now that we're we're hopefully getting like you said towards the endemic, I want to see how we can change what it is to be, you know, a career, you know, restaurant worker, an employee. Um mm-hmm. and oftentimes it's like it's not it's not sustainable. And um a lot of people just feel like they get pushed out because of that. And I mean, we're, we're in a state that's still honoring a, a 213 tip system that was put in place in like 1966. Uh, like we, we, there's a, you know, a labor law that was enacted last year that still isn't taking effect in Georgia of the 80, 20 law, which is like 80% of your work that you get a tip credit for where you get paid 213 is um, supposed to only be like tip accruing work. And any supportive work is only supposed to be um, 30 minutes or 20% of your overall hours um, to like actually, or like a 30 minute cap. And that hasn't been implemented at all. So people aren't anything past that time limit, you're supposed to be getting paid a minimum wage. Um, So if you're staying late at a restaurant and you're sweeping up the place and you're scrubbing it down, like you're supposed to be getting this, this wage. And it's just really not like, it's not happening. And it's really hard to implement, you know, people aren't gonna, it's, it's a scary thing to like, bring that up to your employer. Um, but it's, it's the law nonetheless. And I just, I'm wondering what that's going to be like in the future for, for like the restaurants. And I worry about restaurants in general. I, I like you're saying yeah. like the past couple of years, bringing things kind of into hyper focus like i mean people already treated restaurant workers like shit before the pandemic and they really went hard during the pandemic i I can't imagine that people would want to stay in the industry for any reason (laughs) honestly i wonder why anyone like sometimes i do wonder like given the stories that i hear um about patrons behaving badly or or operators behaving badly or chefs behaving badly, why people would stay in this industry. There needs to be massive sweeping reform, period. Yeah. And that's like that that's been on the on the table for I think a long time. And it it the time is is now like where change needs to happen. And but it's again, I'm not like I'm not faulting the the like the small business owners. Like there's it is a systemic issue. Um mm-hmm. especially like, you know, 40% of tip workers are uh, people of color. And th- that's like, you know, and it has a direct correlation to, to rates of poverty. And I think that, yeah, like what, what can we do as a community to start enacting these changes? And I mean, it's, it's already happening in Atlanta, like places like Kimball and Little Tart and Ty Con and Little Bear who are, you know, taking the, the steps to implement healthcare, you know, to retain workers and to, help them. And, um, I just want to see what else, like 
we can do by continuing the conversation. I mean, what do you, where do you think we're headed as an industry, at least in Atlanta um, today? It feels like even structurally, you're seeing people like, you know, Ryan and Kara changing Staple House to the model that works better for their life. You know, mm -hmm. they have two young children. They want to be there. The reason I left being a line cook was because like I was saying, like I literally lost so much stuff at the dry cleaner because I never picked <laughs> it up because you're just exhausted. You're executing someone's vision. You're wiping down your station, yeah. cleaning your knives. You're there until 2 a.m. and then you do it all over again at 11. Mm -hmm. There's no time for yourself. There's no time yeah. for mental health. Um, where do you think we're headed? Um, you know, I think that's becoming very apparent for a lot of people. Um, and as much as I like, it, it does suck to see, you know, restaurants not being able to operate the way that they want to because of staff shortages and stuff like that. But I think that I'm hoping that ultimately there's a way to look and have a, a moment as a, as like a community and say like, okay, if I can't operate my business model with, you know, X amount of employees or, or by taking care of them or paying them properly, then maybe that's not the right business model. Mm. Um, and I think it's also a part of like educating the consumer as well. Like we know restaurants operate on already the slimmest of margins. Like it is, you know, it would be like laughable if it wasn't so tragic, <laughs> but, um, you know, people really do it out of love. And I think to me, when we see like, okay, now we're implementing, um, you know, a livable wage for our employees. So therefore that has an effect on the price point. Um, guests have to know about that, like, and, and why that is and how that can be like better to serve your, your like actual community and how that money will have an effect on your, on your local economy. I think that that's something that like takes some, some time to also open up the floor and have some, a dialogue about. So you, left the industry in a way and created this in this company um is it going well i mean you you did this to safeguard your mental health and your mm -hmm. work-life balance is, is is it working yeah i think it's working um i mean i still like to dip my toe back into <laughs> the industry and yeah and like moonlight places and and be places to you know to, to supplement but um there's i think it's going well and i i'm I'm anxious to see how it, how it develops in the years to come. Um, and what that means, I think it'll probably go more towards like private events and private catering. I think mm -hmm. that's the next step of sipping, um, especially hopefully as people start to gather more, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, I think it's going well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so a silly question that I ask people all the time is, you know, if you were on a desert Island, what would you eat? <laughs> Like every day. Um, um, this... Oh God, what would I eat every day? Um, we're, we're talking about like one dish. Or yeah, it's like can... Groundhog Day. And the okay. same thing Having appears same on thing your table every morning. So I, I like to know what people don't get sick of eating. Okay, I would say um, breakfast wise, something I never get sick of eating is like a sunny side up, like our over easy egg and like mm -hmm. a crunchy baguette. Like that is to me what life is all about. I'll never get sick of that. Um, I love, yeah, I'm like a big pastry person as well. Um, croissants and, and, you know, any sort of like 
chocolate pastry is is a big thing for me um as far as like main dish things I wouldn't get sick of um oh I would say like pho is huge in in my house um I like to think it was like the thing that brought my husband and I together was our mutual love. Interesting. Um, I like that connection. Yes. (laughs) It's like what we pretty much like even yesterday, we're like, looked at each other like, all right, let's go. And it's also something that is such a labor of love. Like I, I like to eat things when I go out um, of things I wouldn't normally cook at home. And like pho is one of those things that, you know, if you have cooked it at home, it is like, so time consuming it's such like and it, at the end of the day if it doesn't turn out right you're like oh no no big deal it was only 72 hours that i spent <laughs> like the one time i yeah. I, I made mamufuku ramen yes oh yeah <laughs> you're just like okay well that didn't turn out and that's everything's fine um but yeah i would say like a big bowl of like bumboy like that would be my my go to desert island food and you mentioned your husband. He's a filmmaker. Is that right? Yeah. Well, he's, um, he's a political or something. Yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of things. He has a, a production company, um, called Numerica where he works in the, 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 you know, music field, but he also does a lot of, um, political agency work, um, and makes, you know, lots of, he says, he likes to say propaganda for the left, but I'm totally <laughs> not sure. <laughs> But so food was something that brought you guys together. Oh yeah. 100. Well, I will say this. We, the first time we dated once before our initial. Stop it. I love that. (laughs) We dated and then, um, you know, he kind of wasn't like into the same things I was into. Like I, you know, I took him, um, to like Northern China eatery and he like kind of wasn't into it. And I was like, all right, this isn't going to work. So we kind of, we like, it was like, we ultimately broke up. I was like, I don't know. I don't, I think we're just like, kind of, it's not a good time. So, um, years down the road, we reconnected and we, he met me up in Athens. I was like, um, at a, on like a cocktail panel and he, we went to, um, sea bearer and, you know, got like a round of oysters and he asked the, he's going to kill me for telling you this. <laughs> He, he asked the surfer for like crackers. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Uh, I was like, do you trust me? Can I, can I just like, you know, take the reins a little bit and, you know, did just like, like a simple squeeze of lemon on like local, you know, or like Georgia oysters. And he was like thinking something entirely different. And once he had that and he like relaxed, he was like, wow, that was really good. And then he just kind of like, you know, latched on and was like whatever you want and once we were able to kind of like explore that together it's it's a massive thing for us like he's i it's amazing to see like what he's into now and how how much he'll like he'll go for so i'm i just have to imagine since he's the reason i brought up the film is because if he's a creative and you're a creative you yeah. know and then you're finding something that's your creative outlet that you mm-hmm. can bond on it's pretty yeah. interesting to me <laughs> My, uh, my fiance was not, he loves food, but he's not mm-hmm. a food person. Oh, um, really? Like, yeah. So, I mean, he, when I first started dating him, one of my friends was like, how are you not with a foodie? Like, aren't you, shouldn't you be with someone <laughs> who's like, is obsessed with you? I was what like, no, it's actually nice. It's, it is it's nice. nice. It, they eat anything. Yeah. And they're just like, it's also cool. Like, I mean, I, I feel like I almost exclusively dated people in the industry my entire yes. adult life. And he was one of the only ones that I hadn't. And like, 
to kind of like also just he reminds me to relax and enjoy things a little mm-hmm. bit more too mm-hmm. where I'm not just like oh, okay let me talk to you about this and he's like right just eat like take a bite of it at least before it gets cold and I'm like thank you yes <laughs> appreciate the, the opposite attracting it's <laughs> very important but I don't want to take up too much more of your time but um do you have anything coming up any events any classes any organizations you want to plug and where can people follow you yeah um I would say if you want to follow me, you can find me, um, at sipping at home, uh, on Instagram, um, and on TikTok. um, that we're going to be, we're kind of jumping into our uh, spring season and going to be releasing our new classes. Um, we're also doing, um, up for bid for the Planned Parenthood gala. Um, if you want to, you know, put some money in a good cause, um, you can try and find the class through that. Um, I would say also check out the podcast to come. Um, you can find it at why don't I know this pod on both TikTok and Instagram. And if you just want to find me, you can find me at Mercedes O'Brien on all social media. <laughs> but you are still doing private bartending if people yes. do want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm serious, if you can afford it, it is like yeah. <laughs> worth every cent of your money for the drinks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. holler at me if you want to have a little summer soiree I'm I'm happy to to be there <laughs> well I really appreciate your time and I'm really looking forward to hearing your podcast that sounds awesome, really yeah. fun I also like information and learning okay yes. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you again so Mercedes oh god my cat just burst through the door <laughs> right. have okay. a good one Jen thank All you right. thank you bye-bye well that's this week's episode Thank you for listening and thank you to Mercedes for joining us. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm joined by Chef Justin Dixon of Humble Mumble in Atlanta, Georgia. Again, we'll be back next Sunday. And this has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds.